Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We cannot recycle our way out of the position we've put ourselves in. We have to change behaviors. And a lot of the behaviors change when we change the way we perceive what is valuable. I'm Kirby. And I'm Sarah. Welcome to Los Angeles. Every week, we break down the most important beauty news and launches, interview your favorite beauty experts, influencers, and celebrity guests, and review our favorite beauty products of the moment as your beauty editor BFFs from the beautiful and great city of Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. (laughs) Cute. That's cute. Wow. Happy, well... Well, what? Yesterday was Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, everyone. Happy Earth Day to our planet. We love you. Thank you for all that you do for us. I always used to sing We Are the World, We Are the Children on Earth Day, but that's not what that's about. That's not about Earth Day. Yeah, no. We but are, I mean, maybe we are the Earth. <laughs> we are the people. <laughs> what other like Mother Nature song? Uh, God is a woman where Ariana Grande oh, fingers the, earl, right. the earth. Very sexual. Oh, Quinn's into it. Yeah. <laughs> she she would be. Yeah. Quinn's like so naughty. Um, okay, this is despite the intro to this podcast, we're not talking about sexualizing the planet. We're actually talking about saving the planet. And we have an amazing guest. We have talked about this brand on the podcast. We've talked about many of his brands on the podcast, but he just launched a new one. So our guest is Victor Casal. He is a legend, legend in the beauty industry. He has served as a product formulator for 30 plus years. You may know him from a little brand called Mac Cosmetics. He is the co-founder of Mob Beauty, which is a sustainable beauty brand that I have been talking about They really walk the talk. Their products are performance-based. They're clean, if that is super important to you. But mostly, they are over this, like, single-use bullshit. Vic Vic is going to drop some knowledge during this episode. Yeah, he is very, very passionate about this. I mean, like, we've had many founders, obviously, on the podcast who are also very passionate about sustainability and you know um recyclable packaging all those things but you can tell like this is just like it gets him going he could talk about it for like hours and hours and hours and he's so knowledgeable like he is the guy who knows all about i mean he is like leading the charge in this right yes and he is going to explain why it is so hard to, to make sustainable beauty happen because it's not just a brand deciding to do it. There are so many facets that brands depend on to make it happen. 
Um, and if you're an indie beauty brand, it's especially hard. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get into that. But just a little bit of, ba- of background about him. He's the co-founder of Mob Beauty. He um, has three other co-founders that are veterans in the beauty industry. They really know what's up. Uh, Mob launched this past January. Um, and the goal of launching Mob was to make beauty better. Um, they're focused on non-irritating ingredients with reusable and recycled recyclable packaging and he's going to explain all about that like i mentioned he helped launch mac cosmetics as the chief chemist managing director he created some of the most iconic products that you probably still use and love today uh for instance mac russian red no big deal there's a baywatch story that you're gonna die over and when he left max he created cover effects and the story about how cover effects came to be is really incredible um it just came out of like a passion and a need and want to help others and he served as the brand's chief innovation officer so yesterday on earth day mob announced that themselves credo hudson's bay which for those of you in um the united states who may not be familiar it's the most iconic largest department store in canada hello to our canadian friends um and then element packaging launched a not-for-profit take-back program called PACT, P-A-C-T. And this take-back program is exclusively for the beauty industry. You may recall that last week when we were talking about recycling, we brought up Credo and TerraCycle. As of yesterday, Credo no longer works with TerraCycle. Um, PACT is the new take-back program. So this launch launches in North America starting yesterday. Um, they have it in the Hudson Bay stores, they have it in the Credo stores, but they have plans to open this up on a wider scale uh, within the industry in late 2021. So I'm sure there's going to be more news about that, but they literally just announced this news yesterday on Earth Day. And um, I, I mean, I'm, I think this is incredible. It's, you know, Mob is literally a brand that's only a couple of months old, and they're really trying hard to make strides and you know, Sarah, one thing that I really, you know, when I was listening back to this interview, Vic is very, he is not pretentious about like mob being better than other brands. Like he really wants to help other brands get to a good place when it comes to sustainability. Yeah. And we were even trying to like ask him, you know, putting our reporter hats on and like get him to talk about the things that other brands might be doing, you know, greenwashing and all that. And he like was saying that everyone trying like, that's great. Like everyone is making an effort and we should celebrate that. Yeah. Which I found like was really sweet and and like really nice to hear someone who, you know, is like I said, leading the charge to say, you know what, it's okay that you, you know, small indie brands, you know, can't do it all, but you're trying and you're making an effort and that matters. Totally. And he, he, he knows both sides of it. Like Mob is considered indie, right? Even though they have launched all of these brands together in the past, like they're still a new baby brand. They don't, they're not owned by anyone. Um, and I, but he has the power because he has worked with all of these supply, these suppliers, all of these people in, um, you know, in the chain of command. He's able to kind of say, if I want to make something with, you know, PCR and it doesn't exist, like you need to make it exist so that, or else you're not going to get my business. So, anyways, it's a really fun interview. I think you're going to love him. 
and uh, we hope that you will. I, I, I don't know. Why am I trying? Why am I trying to like make this like very? We are the world. Just enjoy the interview. Just enjoy it. No, I mean, I think everyone will, yeah, enjoy it. You'll learn something. I know that, you know, I did. Kirby obviously did too. And you'll just feel inspired. Um, But also, like, I know that this whole month we've, you know, been sharing tips for how to be more sustainable. And like we said, it can be very overwhelming to the point where you like, you don't know where to start and you don't know what to do. But I feel like after listening to this interview, you'll walk away with some, you know, actionable things that you can do, um, you know, every day in your life, whether it's like not using a certain beauty product anymore or like buying yes. less eyeshadow palettes. Yes. Like we can all do that, right? Um, so yeah. We are yeah. the world. We are we the are children. The world. We are the We're children. We're the ones to make a brighter day, so let's start giving. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, please follow us on social media for more of this shenanery at Los Angeles Pod. We have a website if you care to visit that. And of course, you can subscribe to us on Apple and follow us on Spotify. We will speak to you next Tuesday. Shake your body, shake your body. Okay, Vic, we are absolutely thrilled to have you. I'm happy to be here. I mean, first of all, you just look like a guy I want to hang out with. Like, <laughs> like put together, interesting. I love the vibe in, in your, uh, where are you? Living, uh, study, basement, living area? I am in um, my, I guess I would call it my studio room. My den, it becomes a spare room when people are visiting. But this is yes. where I hang out. I've actually soundproofed the walls here because it makes the sound better when you're talking and doing video conference. So it's, you know, I like that sound. Music is in my family, so I, I'm used to soundproofing things. My son's a drummer, so, you know. You get it. You get it. I get it. So, Vic, let's talk about your background. You're responsible for some iconic products that people still use today, are still wildly popular today. I want to know more about your background. And this is like a family affair. Your life partner works also in the beauty industry, correct? She actually, she works in the, she works for Johnson & Johnson. So she heads their external innovation. So Melinda Richter is her name. And she started Bioscience Incubator here in California for women who wanted to get into science and needed some support and an infrastructure to help them get started. She built it up. It was called Prescience. Well, Johnson & Johnson saw it and said, hey, that's an amazing way to do innovation. They bought her platform. She rolled out what is known as J-Labs, and it's a division of Johnson & Johnson's innovation. And basically, it's 10 or so incubators around the world that are hosted by Johnson & Johnson. She runs them and allows entrepreneurs, scientists to come in and rent a little lab spot and develop the next generation drug products. So that's what she does. And we have a saying in, you know, I kind of, our relationship is special in so many ways. But one of them is I said, listen, I say, honey, you keep them alive and I'll make them look good. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. No, that's our little thing. That's our little saying. So we have a responsibility to each other in so many ways, including that one I just said. Wow. She sounds incredible. 
Yeah. We need her on the pod, too. Absolutely. Tell us about your background and your come up in the industry. Sure. Okay. Well, I was fortunate enough to be dating my future wife, who we met in high school. Her name is Julie. Her brother, actually, is Frank Toskin. And uh, we were having dinner, and I was like 19, 20. I was 20. And I was studying chemistry at the University of Toronto just because I liked chemistry and I was good at it. In high school, if you don't study hard on a subject and you do well, that's what you want to do, right? That's the, the subject you want to do. And he was, uh, you know, working on makeup artistry and photography. And he asked me, he goes, listen, I'm trying to source like matte makeup and I can't find any, you know, this is back in the early 80s. It was all shimmery, sheer, shimmery kind of stuff that you could buy. And pro makeup wasn't really around or hard to get. You had to go to a special place to get it. Um, and he said, listen, do you know how to make lipsticks or eyeshadows? And I said, no. But I wanted to impress my girlfriend and his family. And I said, well, I'll see if I can figure it out. So, you know, I was studying university. I was in my second year of chemistry. I set up a makeshift lab and literally reverse engineered, experimented, sought out ingredients from suppliers and over about a year, year and a half, you know, study by day, mad scientist by night, started to work with Frank Toskin and his team of makeup artists because he was very connected to the makeup artist community. And we started to create some really cool stuff. And he, we were really focused on matte at the time because because there was lots of shimmer. And remember, this is before any pro makeup artist anything right? This is when you basically went to the department store, generally, and everybody was dressed in white lab coats or pink lab coats or whatever, and was selling you product. And they weren't makeup artists, they were salespeople, right? That's what you had exposure to. And if you wanted professional product, you went to the Namies in LA or wherever in around the world. So what that did is it brought me right in at 20 years old as a chemist, probably connected me to the professional community. And Frank Toskin, who was a genius creative person himself. And I started to formulate and really go out there with the technology that was available. And because I wasn't tied to the industry, and this is something we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, but because I wasn't tied to an industry or had a history in the industry, I went out of the box. You know, people say out of the box. Well, I went out of the box or out of the beaker, or whatever you want to call it. I just went out and tried everything. Things that most chemists that were in the industry would say, you're absolutely crazy to try that. But you know what? We got some cool stuff. The first one was our matte lipsticks. You know, Frank was keen on matte. We needed matte. The artists wanted matte. They wanted like dead matte, matte. And, you know, I experimented and tried and tried. And Vic, Vic, did you say MAC Cosmetics already? Or did I miss that? We're talking about MAC Cosmetics, people. You're, you're uh... burying the lead here. Yeah, bearing the lead there. This is incredible. Like this is <laughs> incredible stuff happening. Okay, right. Let's rewind. We started Matte Cosmetics in 1984. And one of the first products I worked on was the matte lipstick. And I developed it in a red. It was like a fiery red color. And it later became Russian red, which I think is still selling today, actually. I think I was in an Ulta store last year and I saw it in Ulta at some point. So that's 35 years later. So that's amazing. Anyway. Worked on the matte Russian red, and then we launched the matte lipstick and so many other products. I mean, I got to work on products that were so interesting and unique, and this is kind of before their time, like a wet-to-dry foundation, Studio Fix powder foundation. I remember working on that, and it was so unusual thinking, 
well, who's going to do this? Like, this is kind of like the 1940s pancake makeup thing, but we took it to the next level. There was lots of technology. I brought it all into this formula. I think it's still around. I think you can still buy Studio Fix. The shading system, you know, in foundations, I worked with the team, the makeup team, and said, look, guys, we got to change this naming system. We've got fawn, alabaster, sand, desert rose. I said, what the <laughs> hell is that? I don't know what that is. If desert rose is too pink for me, what's the less, least pink than desert rose? Like, what is it? So I said, look, we need something more systematic. So we came up with the NC, the N, the NW numerically, you know, the smaller the number, the lighter the shade, the deeper the shade, the larger the number. So you can actually navigate and say, look, if NC30 is too light for me, but it's the right tone, undertone, then NC32 or 33 Mm -hmm. might be the next one down. It'll be the one that works for me. So worked on that. That was exciting. Never knew at the time that it really would take off the way it did, but we could not keep it in stock. So, you know, this is back in 1988, I think is when we launched it. And I know that it's still selling. I, I see it out there. I think it's doing very well. But yeah, um, other things, you know, lip gloss. I remember doing that one. And, you know, this is kind of back in the early lip gloss years. And that was challenging because, you know, lip gloss, you know, we still have the problem today. Can you believe it? 30 years later, you want it to last. But if you make it last, then it becomes sticky. And of course, you know, I could see Kirby, your hair and your hair, Sarah, is long. It sticks in it. And it's like, okay, we can't have that. It's just as challenging, but you know, lip gloss is a is a product that was was really interesting. Face and body foundation that was one that was very challenging, but I have a great story, and I'll tell you that story. So you know, the pros are saying, look, we need something waterproof, okay? Because foundations on the face, you know, back then the technology wasn't the greatest necessarily, and foundations would run and crack, and you know, it's not the technology we have today. So they said, look, we need something that's waterproof. I said, okay, I'll work on it, and it's challenging because when you're making a foundation that's waterproof you have to mix a whole bunch of ingredients together. And to do that, you need emulsifiers and emulsifiers make it less waterproof. So it's kind of like a contradiction. Somehow I managed to pull it all together into this face and body foundation. And I was experimenting, you know, back at the time, of course, we're working with makeup artists. So, you know, we had makeup artists around the, the US and, and the globe and, we, and I'd send them some and say, hey, look, try it, tell me what you think. So I sent one to an LA makeup artist and wrote back and said, yeah, this is a great product. And she called back two weeks later, she goes, look, I got called into a pilot and they say, I need to bring waterproof makeup because there's lots of water, a lot of wet scenes in the pilot. So I said, fine. I sent her a whole bunch of face and body foundation prototypes and I never heard back from her. I thought, oh, why did she get back to me? I was hoping for, and this is before emails and stuff. So, you know, you're, you're waiting for a call or a fax, believe it or not, a fax. <laughs> never heard back. But then a year later, I hear back from her or we hear back from her. And she says, the pilot got taken. They're running the show. We need that face and body foundation. And here are the shades we need. And I said, great. This is great. It was Baywatch. Wow. Iconic. Wow. This is a great, this is such a great story. A a lot of wet scenes, like the whole, (laughs) the entire show. (laughs) And you know what? This is 1989, I think. And I remember Frank and the team were, talking about it. We really didn't know Baywatch. It wasn't out and we're in Canada. So it's not like we knew what was going on, but then, you know, of course it became this iconic show. Anyway. Yeah. Mac was a great experience. I mean, we literally did everything. Unlike a lot of the way the industry has moved to today, I developed 
our own R&D department. We had chemists, we had analytical chemists who tested all the products. We had microbiology chemists who made sure everything was preserved well. We had a testing team. We had a network of pros. We had thousands of professionals who were supporting or working or buying our products. So I had a great channel of people to work with. And we focused on making professional quality product in great shades, you know, led by Frank Toskin and Frank Angelo. We built out this great company that we sold to Estee Lauder. And when I transitioned literally between Mac and my next, I wasn't thinking about going back into cosmetics necessarily, but during Mac, I was supporting our local dermatology hospital with product. We were shipping them foundations because it's the largest dermatology clinic in Canada. It's called Sunnybrook Hospital. They bring in a lot of people from all over Canada with rosacea, vitiligo, you know, severe acne, and they treat them medically. But they had a camouflage makeup artist there. Her name was Lee Graf, and she was applying makeup. And I thought, this is strange. You know, why is there somebody in your dermatology clinic putting makeup on patients? And they said, well, we want the patients to emotionally start healing right away. Some of them come with a shawl around their face because they've got something and it's bothering them to the point where they're covering it. And they were doing camouflage makeup. So I supported them with product at Mac. But when we sold, that stopped. And they came to me and said, well, what can we do now? And I said, well, if you give me a room in the clinic, I'll set up a lab, I'll make the foundations, and you can offer the foundations to your patients. I did it as a free service just to give back. And we did it. And patients started sending their mothers and sisters and friends to come and get this stuff because they said, well, we really like it. My friend uses it. I want it. So we literally started selling it in the hospital pharmacy where, you know, we would just put extra, I'd make extra of every shade and put labels on it. And, you know, the shades were named after people. This is Sarah's shade. This is Kirby's shade because we made it for them. We gave it to them. It was just something we gave back. If we could, we would make them products. But what happened was we had SARS and the product ended up going into Shoppers Drug Mart. Shoppers Drug Mart said, you know, we like this stuff. We'd like to sell it. So we started Cover Effects and Cover Effects was a complexion brand that we started from a good place. That's where I learned how to do clean because I'm literally formulating with 20 plus dermatologists around me, sending me their patients. And I'm thinking, there's a whole bunch of stuff I can't put in it. And I got to put stuff that's actually going to reduce irritation because some of these people are very sensitive. I really love that when you guys formulated Cover RFX, clean for you were ingredients that a dermatologist was like, listen, we can't have this in the formula because of the conditions that our clients have and are trying to work through. Are there certain ingredients that come to mind that you were like, okay, these were considered the most problematic, I guess is the term I'm looking for? Yeah, the problematic ingredients are ones that are tend to be irritants. Preservatives are always irritants. So no matter what preservative you're talking about, back then the parabens were being used. So parabens were like, oh my God, we need to use preservatives, but we can't use parabens. So we started to work our way out of parabens. A fragrance has like sometimes 50, 100 ingredients, sub-ingredients in it. And they, a lot of them, because they smell and they smell nice, have very, let's call them exotic chemical structures that tend to be irritants. Right. You've heard of multiple chemical sensitivity, people who can smell things and it irritates them just from the smell. So we had to avoid those. A lot of ingredients that were at the time sensitizing sunscreens. PABA was a big ingredient back. This is 30 years ago. You couldn't use PABA. I don't even know if people talk about PABA anymore, but back then it was PABA free. So we know we didn't use PABA. We didn't use octomethoxycinnamate. These are chemical sunscreens that 
protect you from UV, but also cause a lot of irritation. I was removing a lot of that stuff when people were just still using it just because that's what they used. And so it really rewired my science brain to think about formulating. We called it healthy at the time. Today, it's called clean. Now, you know, I think clean is healthy with sustainability. I'm trying to figure out what the definition is, and I'm sure your audience needs to know what is the definition. It's like natural, like what's the definition of natural, right? So it's about ingredients that tend not to create irritation on your skin. Don't put your skin in a worse position or condition than it was before you use the product and are potentially not as destructive, let's say, to the ecosystem, your personal ecosystem and the environment around you. So I'm thinking if I was to define clean, that's probably where I would try to define it. And those were the things we were doing and it's getting more prevalent every day. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy that the industry is moving forward. You know, I have to say, having been in this industry for 35 plus years from like literally the ground up on many levels with Matt Cosmetics, Cover Effects, and now Mob Beauty, it's hard to make change because there's a lot of people in the supply chain. Like if I got up in the morning and I was to make lunch, I can go buy the ingredients I want. I can make my lunch the way I want to make it. And I can present it the way I want to present it and put it in the dishes and plates I want to do. But when you're in the beauty industry and let's say you're an indie entrepreneur, you have to go to the suppliers that are supplying and you can only pick what they have. If they don't have it, you can't buy it. Or they may have it and they say, well, you know what, if you want it, you got to buy a truckload. And of course, you're an indie entrepreneur, you have no money and no sales. So you can't buy a truckload of something. So you can't buy it. So you end up buying what is available. And maybe it's not the most sustainable ingredient available or the cleanest ingredient available. That's all you can get. So it's unfortunate that because it's such a complex interwoven industry, like many industries, the supply chain is slow to move because you may have demand at the customer, but by the time that demand reaches the main key upstream suppliers, a lot of friction and pushback and work has to be done to get them to change because they're not going to just change for the sake of changing. They're going to change because their customers say, you got to change. I need something different. So I know I digressed, but yes, that's the clean. And that's where I learned clean at cover effects. And now I'm at Mob Beauty. And what's great about Mob Beauty is that over my years of experience, I have worked with great people like Alicia Gallagher, who's a co-founder and our chief brand officer. She is a professional makeup artist who kind of grew up in the industry, worked with Laura Mercier, worked with me at Cover Effects. I've got Beatrice Sagan, who is a PhD scientist who worked with product innovation for one of Canada's largest private manufacturing cosmetic companies. And Steve Blanchett, who actually ran one of Canada's largest private label manufacturing companies for cosmetics and has made a lot of cosmetics in his career. We have four people together at Mob that are aligned in our values. And what's great about it is that we came together and we said, you know what, let's do beauty better than we've done before, than each of us have done before. Because we've each been in a legacy sort of situation where we're dealing with what we have and what's in front of us. Why don't we get together and create the new, where the industry is going. So let's work on where it should be going and let's stay true to that. And it's not easy. I tell you guys, it is not easy. And I feel for everyone in this industry who is trying to make change, even the big players, like the big players can't just turn around and go from one source of a material 
to another source because remember, they have a supply chain. They have customers, they have manufacturing, they have their retail partners. They may have six months of inventory in their supply chain. If they change anything, what happens to the stuff that's out there? Does it get thrown out? Does it come back? You know, what do we do? Will our product be compatible with the new plastic material? Will the supplier be able to make it? Will the supply of say recycled plastic be there if we run 500 million of these things a year? Those are the challenges we're facing at Mob. And I have to say, we're stubborn in a way, but we're focused. We're focused because we're taking the challenge and we're taking it seriously. Our team is serious. And Kirby, I know you've had a chance to look at some of our product. You had a chance to sit with me on kind of an influencer discussion we had not that long ago. And we're really trying to move the needle and we're starting small. And we're starting small because we have to. It's like an experiment in motion. We are, as Beatrice, our chief innovation officer says, is look, we're building the plane and flying it at the same time. That's what we're doing. And we're trying to do a lot of things at the same time, which we can do because we're experienced. And I have to say, I know we're older types, but we are experienced. And what that brings us is connections to the industry players. So I can go to a supplier and say, we want to create a lipstick tube, but we want to make it out of recycled bottles, drink bottles. And they say, well, we don't do that. I said, well, you're not going to get my business if you don't do it for us. And they'll listen to me and Alicia and Beatrice because we're in the industry and we bought a lot of stuff from them before. So they say, okay, we'll do it for you. But if any indie or change maker in this industry comes in and wants to do that, it's going to be hard. Mob is creating a new brand that will lead the way, show the way, show that it can be done, experiment in some respects with a lot of materials and the way things are done, you know, packaging sold separately. All these things are different models, right? but hopefully pave the way. So we lead the way, but we pave the way. So we pave the way now because now there are suppliers that are making 100% PCR materials for us. They've tested it, they know it, eventually they'll make it part of their offering and it'll be something the industry will start to evolve to. And so we're trying to do beauty better than we've done before. Hopefully we'll be paving the way for ourselves and for our fellow industry partners. Okay, so Kirby and I have found that of all the quote-unquote clean beauty brands that are out there, Mob actually walks the talk when it comes to sustainability. You've been quoted as saying, we're not here to greenwash, we're here to do better. So being an industry vet, what are some things that brands do to appear like they're helping the earth, you know, being eco-friendly, but in actuality, it really isn't doing much or anything at all and kind of just, you know, marketing. I don't want to be in a position to cast doubt or put down any of our fellow industry friends. So Mob Beauty is not about putting anyone down. It's about bringing everyone up. It's looking at the positive. It's taking where we are today and putting a positive spin on it and a hope for the future. It's like, okay, this is where we are today. This is where we can go. Let's try to do it together. So to answer your question specifically, things that are happening that aren't moving the needle, I have to say there's a lot of things happening, but we're all doing it. We are all victim to it. You know, it's like we have a whole vehicle that needs to move towards greener pastures, right? The problem is, one company can only afford to make the tires greener because the engine has been built and they can't change it because it's just too much, too expensive to change. Or the doors 
of the vehicle can only be changed because the other parts of it are so beloved by the consumer that God forbid if they change any upholstery in that car, it's like nobody's gonna want it anymore. So they've just changed the doors. And so the issue we have as an industry and as companies is that we're selling product. Customers are buying our product because they like our product. So we're gonna make things different. It's risky to just do it with what we have and just to hope that everybody's gonna wanna buy into sustainability and say, yeah, okay, we understand the package is not as scratch resistant as it was before. Okay, we get it. That's because you're using PET, which we use at Mob. It's better because there's lots of it. We can reuse it over and over again. It's recyclable. It's going to be more scratchy. Okay, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Okay, the product. You know, Alicia has this great saying. Sometimes for clean or vegan is like you're baking a cake, but you can't use bread. So you can't use flour, eggs, right? Mm -hmm. Or butter, because those are all things that gluten, the butter's got the animal, you know, the eggs is an egg. Now you're asking me to bake a pig cake. I can't use eggs. I can't use milk and I can't use uh, butter. So what am I going to do? That's what it's like. Some customers might say, you know what? I like the taste of that cake. Don't change the cake on me. Okay. I, I want it that way. So there's a lot of consumer friction and resistance. There's supplier friction and resistance. So she's a perfect example. We go to our supplier one of my suppliers that I've used for 30 years, okay, at Mac, at CoverFX, and now at Mob. At Mob, I go to the supplier, know them well, they know me well, I say, I want to make PET lipstick tubes. They say, we don't have any PET in any one of our facilities, and we got like 20 facilities around the world. I said, well, I want to make a PET lipstick tube because there's lots of it, lots of what, and I want it to be recycled PET. He said, well, we, we don't know we can get recycled PET. We don't want to do it. I said, well, you know, you have to do it. You're not going to get my business unless you do it. So they experiment, they come back and they say, well, you know, recycled PET, it doesn't flow as nicely in our injection. We don't want to use it. Or it pits our tooling, so we have to polish it more often. The virgin stuff doesn't do that. We want to use the virgin. That's the friction I'm getting from the supplier side saying, hey, you're asking me to use recycled PCR or post-consumer recycled PET, which there's an abundance. They don't want to use it because of various reasons. Plus, it costs 30% more than Virgin. So now I go, well, who's going to pay for that 30% more? My competitors selling it Virgin plastic lipstick tube. They're paying 30% less. Now I got to sell that same lipstick tube for 30% more. These are the things that go through the minds of business owners, whether you're an indie brand or you're Estee Lauder or Mac. These are all the issues. You go to your suppliers, there's friction. You go to the cost structure, there's friction. You go to the consumer base, there's friction. You go to the retail channel, there's friction. It's not something we can do overnight. And so I would be reluctant to say somebody's greenwashing. I would like to say everybody's trying, okay? And everybody's trying to the capacity they can afford to try. Because if you don't have any money and you need to change to sustainable, it might bankrupt you. Okay, so basically what you're saying is that if brands are at least trying to give it a go, especially larger brands that do have the money, that do have the connections, that have, you know, maybe been legacy players, if they're at least trying, we shouldn't be looking for perfection right now. We should be looking for good motivation and movement. Okay, great. So it reinforces one of our pillars at Mob is to do beauty better. We're in pursuit to do better. 
our mission and one of our values is continuous innovation. So what we've said to ourselves is we will continue to push the envelope. For example, one of our, our lipstick tubes, for example, we were only able to get the 50% PCR content because of tooling and supply and getting it right. But we've already done experiments to get it to 75%. So the next run is going to be 75% PCR. We're going to try to keep doing better. And I think the industry, well, it appears the industry is all moving in that direction. So the next question is, are there any particular ingredients that we should be concerned about ethically? During that call, I did press you on mica. Let's talk about our audience. Like they're shopping for products. Are there any ingredients that they should be, give a second thought to before they purchase? Well, there are two right now that are of the moment. I mean, it's always been an issue. Just now they're of the moment. So they're circulating in media and people are questioning it. Mica is one of them and palm oil is another one. So let's talk about mica. And we're not the only industry. The beauty industry isn't the only industry that is challenged with this type of information, misinformation and sourcing. You know, we went through this with the sneaker and apparel industry, what, 20 years ago with child labor and, you know, where things were made and where things were sourced, right? And so now we're looking at our industry and we say, oh yeah, you know, we hear stories about mica and, you know, kids go into mines, they die. And it's horrible. It really is horrible when you hear the stories. So mica is one of them. And so mica is a mineral that is found in abundance everywhere. I think I talked to you about that. The U.S. has a lot of mica mountains, a lot of them. In fact, I believe, I don't have it here. I actually moved my lab now. So I have a beautiful lab. We have, Mob has a satellite lab on the West Coast and a beautiful lab on the East Coast. So we're kind of developing product in two, on each coast, which is exciting. I have my little mica rock that I picked up at the Joshua Tree National Park, it's because we have lots of mica. And mica is mined in, in the U.S., a lot of it. The thing is, there are a lot of suppliers of mica, and there are a lot of pigments that are made with mica. And so mica comes from all over the world. And what's important for MOB is that every one of our suppliers has to certify that the mica that they supply us is responsibly sourced, Okay certify. We have a QA department, our head of QA and regulatory is on it. She's like a hawk. I call her the sheriff. Her name is Katya. <laughs> she is on it. And we don't buy any mica that is not certified sustainably sourced. What we mean by sustainably sourced is that it's mined in a method that is ethical, that is not abusing child labor. And it's also mined in a way that's not creating a polluted environment. And so those are the two things that are important. And a lot of mica does come from the U.S. A lot of our mica comes from the U.S. or the ingredients we buy come from the U.S. But what do you do? Well, as a customer, you ask the, the manufacturer, is the mica sustainably sourced? Do you guarantee the mica sustainably sourced? This is similar to what happened in the animal testing days, which is still an issue. But early in the no animal testing days, consumers would say, do you test on animals? Now, of course, we have PETA and we have the Leaping Bunny, and maybe there'll be a rock icon that you put on your product, <laughs> the MICA Association of Sustainably Sourced MICA that approves you. That may come, who knows, but that's what you do. As a consumer, you see MICA, you think, okay, let me check with the supplier, with the brand. Let me go to their website. Do they talk about it? If they don't talk about it, send them an email. You know, is this sustainably sourced? Palm oil is another one. Palm oil is an amazing resource. Guys, palm oil 
makes so many naturally derived products in this world. It would be hard to replace it. And because of that, a lot of people want to grow palm trees to make palm oil. And what they're doing, especially in Brazil, is that a lot of the indigenous peoples of Brazil are allocated parts of the Amazon forest as a treaty. And so they want to make money and they want to farm. They farm palm trees because everybody wants palm oil. So they're chopping down Amazon forests to sell palm oil because they want to survive and live. And so what happens is that that's not considered sustainably sourced farming because they're destroying an important part of the world's ecological system. They're not allowed to do it. They're only allowed to do so much of it. So there is an association certifies palm oil, RSPO, and we make sure that all of our ingredients that are derived from palm oil are RSPO certified, meaning they're farmed by approved farmers who are not destroying the Amazon forest or having any negative impact, significantly negative impact on their environment. So those are two big things. And again, you go to their website, you check it out. We talk about it on our website. I've seen it, talked about it in, in my other brands. We did the same thing. So th right now, that's the only way to do it. Unless there's a third-party resource that you can sign up with, like Leaping Bunny or PETA, RSPO, Palm Oil, or Ethically Sourced Mica, it's Ask Questions. I love that you did bring up palm oil. There was actually a really great story that came out maybe late last year about the working conditions of the people that were harvesting the palm oil. And I posted about it and so many people did not know about palm oil in general. So thank you for bringing that up. And listeners, we're going to um, include a link to that story on our website if you want to go read it and kind of inform yourself about what's going on. I think it's a really important read. So thank you, Vic, for sharing that. Let's go back to talking about the packaging. One thing that we absolutely love about Mob Beauty is the customizable packaging, like the beautiful palette that Kirby is holding up. Mine is in, I just moved to a new house, so it's it's in a box somewhere and I didn't pull it out in time, but I absolutely love it. It's genius. And I think, you know, one thing that our listeners might not be aware of is that eyeshadow palettes and palettes in general are extremely wasteful because of, you know, the mixing of materials and you can't recycle it. And it's just, you know, adding to more waste, which is why we love what you guys are doing. This might be, you know, a similar answer to the previous question, but what purchasing decisions should we be more aware of when it comes to shopping for beauty products? Like as a consumer, how can we shop more responsibly, like, especially if you are a huge lover of beauty like we all are? Yes, that's an amazing question. It really is important. And I hope your listenership pays attention because as shoppers and consumers, we have developed habits based on value, what we perceive as value. The, when we make decisions, we make decisions based on what we think brings us value or makes us feel good on what we're getting. And we've been conditioned, or I at least have been conditioned to growing up, is that when something is packaged beautifully, is shiny, and it has lots of protection with it, to me, that's beautiful. It's valuable. Wow, that's something special. We need to move in the complete opposite direction. We have to hold value to anything that we can consume that meets our needs, that is, uses the least amount of materials and consumes the least amount 
of sustainable ingredients. That's what we need to think about. And at Mob, for example, we have our refill packaging. It's a nondescript craft molded fiber package that we designed to be as light as possible to protect our product so it can get to you in one piece. And then you could take it and, re- and put it in your compost bin or you can recycle it. That to me is value. I've trained myself now to say that is amazing. I don't want the shiny box. I don't want the stuffing inside the shiny box. I don't want the aluminum foil wrap around it. Give me the craft molded fiber package so I can get my beautiful eyeshadow or bronzer inside. That's pro quality, by the way. (laughs) And I can put that thing back into the environment stream, either back into the ground or back to be remolded again into a new product. That is the biggest challenge we have. So we cannot recycle our way out of the position we've put ourselves in. We have to change behaviors. And a lot of the behaviors change when we change the way we perceive what is valuable. And what I'm hoping is that consumers in beauty and in other parts of their lives will look at the way they purchase something, make a value decision based on how little they're wasting and how little they're consuming to get what they're looking for. So in in our case, it's a beautiful lipstick. It's a beautiful eyeshadow. Try to get yourselves an eyeshadow where you're not buying 20 eyeshadows and only using one and throwing the rest away. Try to buy yourself an eyeshadow that you can consume completely and it's the color you want. And before you buy another one, you finish this one and you recycle the package. Those are the behaviors you need to change. You know, another one, big one, this is big. Packaging sold separately. This is a big one. Two years ago, when Alicia, Beatrice, Steve, and I set out to come together and say, let's do beauty better, I was telling people, we can do packaging sold separately brand. And a lot of people say, what is that? What's packaging sold separately? I said, you know, I kind of got the term from when you were a kid and you watched the toy commercials and it said batteries sold separately. That's kind of where it came from. I said, okay, packaging sold separately. And the idea there is you don't need to buy that package every time you buy your product. It's a waste. For me as a manufacturer, I've lived it. I've done it. I've been a part of that whole thing. Let's just say a compact. You buy a compact for $40. $20 of that $40 pays for the compact itself that you throw out in three to six months. Hopefully you recycle it. But even if you recycle it, you're buying another compact for $20 and you're doing it again every six months. So now you're spending $20 every six months and you're consuming two compacts, three compacts a year that can either get recycled or thrown in. That to me is inefficient. It's not a good behavior. I wouldn't reward that behavior. To me, it's reuse and sell the packing separately. Perfect example. I have a razor blade and a razor in my bathroom. My razor handle is got to be 10 years old, if not 11. It's a Gillette razor handle. I haven't bought a razor handle in 10 years. I buy razor blades, tiny little razor blades that wear out. I buy those, but I don't buy a razor handle every time. I mean, that'd be insane for me to buy a razor handle every time I buy a razor blade. Why do we do that in the beauty industry? You know, packaging sold separately at Mob, packaging sold separately is the way we do it. If we can't make a package that we can sell separately, we don't make the product. So it eliminates us from some categories where it's disposable, but packaging sold separately to me is the way to go. That's another one of those changing behaviors where we gotta think about that. 
Sarah and I talk a lot about overconsumption. You know, this is a beauty podcast, so we do give recommendations and we give awareness to brands that we think people should know about. But we also have a saying that we kind of coined, dodo ho. So (laughs) it's actually, do you need it? You know, are you out of something? Are you looking to replace something? What's the second dough, Sarah? <laughs> I can't remember. What's the hoe? I want to know what the hoe is. So how, ho, how'd I, you hear about it? Oh, yeah. How'd you hear about it? What's the second? It's do you need it? Do you understand what it is? Like, do you know why you're using it in the first place? And we deal a lot with that in skincare, Vic, where people will buy products because they've been told they need like niacinamide and then they get it and they're like, what do I do with this? Where does it go in my routine? I don't understand what what it's even supposed to do to my skin. And so we're very, very vocal about if you don't know what the product does, you need to research it before you purchase it. If you don't need it, don't buy it just because there's an Instagram campaign happening. Don't do that. And If somebody that you don't necessarily trust or have never heard of is hawking a product, that doesn't mean you need to have it either. Those are kind of like the small steps we're taking to try to help our audience. That's fantastic. I would sign up for those recommendations any day. Do, do, ho. Okay. There's actually some major news that you, Mob, announced yesterday on Earth Day, and it's called PACT, P-A-C-T. Well, thank you for asking. Yes, PACT Collective. What we've done is we've come together. We wanted to really bring awareness and education. And there's a lot of misinformation on recycling and what's recyclable. What we wanted to do is bring it to the forefront in our solution to that as a brand. So we partnered with industry players along the supply chain. We have you know packaging representation, retail partner representation, and brand representation. What we've done is come together and we formed what you would term an extended producer responsibility program. So we are a collective, not-for-profit. We have come together to be responsible for our industry, for the packaging that we create. And Pack Collective, it has started with an affiliation with Mob Beauty, Credo Beauty, uh, HBC, which is Canada's largest department store chain, and Element Packaging, which is one of our packaging suppliers at Mob, uh, a big industry supplier. So we have come together to form a model, uh, an agreement, a pact to help the industry be responsible for the packaging it creates. We are, we are beauty veterans. We are focused on beauty. And what we've done is we've created one program that is um, you can go into the Credo store in L.A., and you'll see our beautiful pack recycling bin, but not so much that we retake, that we'll take hard to recycle materials back, but we also provide education and better information, information that's presented in a more understandable form because it does get very complex. There are things that can be recycled, things that are hard to recycle, but still can be recycled and things that can't be recycled. And it's important that we all understand which are which, so we make better purchasing decisions. Um, so PACT, it's exciting. Uh, we have an in-store program that, that has launched in the U.S. through Credo and in Canada through HBC. Mob Beauty is piloting a mailback program because we're a direct-to-consumer. And we are looking to help the industry create a responsibility for educating our consumer base and reducing the amount of packaging that goes in the garbage. And so this is great. We've started it. Uh, we, we are hoping to bring on and to uh, encourage our fellow 
industry partners to come on board, join the pact and help us take responsibility for our industry. But it just doesn't end with us. The responsibility is the whole supply chain. The consumer's responsible, the brands are responsible, the retail providers are responsible and the packaging suppliers are responsible. We are all responsible. So PACT is about bringing them all together to join a collective that takes this responsibility for our industry and deals with it head on. With our industry, what's difficult and what I find really motivated us as a group to come together is that there's information coming from all different places and a lot of it is confusing. You know, one example is I've been making makeup products for 30 years you know, at Mac, we started the Back to Mac recycling program 35 years ago before there was even municipal recycling bins. I didn't know up until like eight months ago that any package smaller than your fists, even it's re recyclable, doesn't get recycled because it falls through the recycling system in the municipalities. And how shocked me, I thought that can't be. So I literally called Recology in California because they're one of the biggest on the West Coast. They said, yeah, things that are really small just kind of fall off the conveyor belt. They end up in a tub at the bottom of the system and they just get disposed. So we may be putting, let's say a, an empty lipstick tube cap in your recycling bin or that little cap that you have been putting in your recycling bin. Well, you know what? Chances are it's not getting recycled. And that's not right. And I asked them about it and they said, well, we don't wanna make it too complicated for the consumer because if we make it too restrictive, then they're not gonna put anything in it. The downside to that is that if they don't know, they're never gonna change their behavior or they're always gonna think something is happening when it's not. So PACT is going to help educate the whole supply chain. This is what can be recycled. This is what can be recycled locally in your blue bin. This is what can be recycled in the PACT, the packed hard to recycle bin. This is what can't be recycled. So don't think that it's gonna be recycled because it can't, it won't. So if you're concerned about the environment, make a different choice on the way you buy this product. You know, a good example is nail polish. You're not gonna get that nail polish gunk off the glass to be able to recycle that glass bottle. You just can't. So that's what PACT is about. It's really exciting. And I hope it's the beginning of a massive beauty extended producer responsibility that we all become a part of and support. We're really excited. I can see it. I can see it. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. We've made it to the end, Vic. We're done grilling you on the hard stuff, but we actually have one more hard question for you. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, so this is Los Angeles. You are an actor. You've moved to Hollywood. You've made it big, and you're headlining a major movie, a major motion picture. Who is your co-star and what is the movie? Oh my goodness. Who is the co-star? Um, okay, let's see. The co-star would be Julia Roberts. And um, I'm trying to think of the movie. It'd have to be like beauty related, obviously. Well, what was her famous breakout movie with... Um, Pretty Woman? Yeah, that one. I would definitely do that movie. With so her. you're the Richard Gere. Okay, I love this. Gere. Not because I want to be Richard Gere, but I would love to do that. That's one of my favorite movies, so I would watch it. And she would be wearing Russian red in the film. Exactly. Yes. Or I guess the other one is is I would be DiCaprio in the Titanic. I think that was kind of cool wow. too. Wow. I get to freeze to death on a on a floating <laughs> board door or something like that. 
That's a good way to go. You'd look so good doing it. That would be good. Yes. Mom, what a tough question. That's great. I just want to say I really enjoyed meeting and speaking with you. This is fantastic. I love what you guys do. You put information out there. You make it fun. You put some personality in it. I think that's fantastic. I would love to come back anytime you want to talk. I got a lot of stories. I've got a lot of good things to talk about. Whatever you want, I'm here. So thank you. Yeah, we could do like 10 other topics with you, truthfully. Honestly, guys, I'll give you the straight up. I'm here to get to, to better beauty and we, we're all in it together. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for dealing with seeing me in my lounge shorts. I mean, this is this is what it's all about, Zoom life. Like Vic literally saw me get up and I was he was probably like, is she even wearing pants? I am. I am. Pants are overrated in my humble opinion. Pants are optional. Um, but Vic, just so you know, you're the first, you're the first guest on this podcast to see me in lounge shorts. So take that as you will. <laughs> Thank goodness I wasn't recording, okay, or you'd be in big trouble. Where can everybody find Mob Beauty? Mobbeauty.com or hashtag the Mob Beauty. We're inclusive. We have a community. We encourage you to join our community to participate. As you know, Kirby, we invite people on to talk with us directly. We have events where you can actually zoom in to my lab and we can talk through ingredients. We can talk through things. We're open. It's about sharing and about doing beauty better. So come visit us at Ma Beauty. Awesome. And thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Gloss Angeles. You know where to find us. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share our pod with a friend if you love these episodes. And leave us a five-star review on Apple. That's how we get discovered and we get more listeners. You can also find every episode of Gloss Angeles on our website, glossangelespod.com. And we're on social, Gloss Angeles Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And find our Facebook group, Search Los Angeles Glamgelinos and you'll find us. We'll talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.